That's right. Don't record them. Okay, guys. So we we were talking about grief and uh, what we're supposed to grieve over, like the loss of someone, and that um, if we are close to a blood relative in proximity for many years, then we're going to grieve over that person. Now, here's something that's actually, this is very indicative, that if you have um, a wife, a lover, a girlfriend, and she dies, then we're going to grieve a lot. But we could have gotten then a divorce. And after the divorce is over, years after the divorce, and then she dies, we don't do much grieving. So these are the indications, you know, just some evidence about um, how life is. But the important point that we were starting to make is, is that we grieve over the loss of someone because we're supposed to grieve over the loss of someone. That this is, um, we are taught this all of our lives. Um, <clears throat> one example that I remember was when I was six years old, my grandfather died. My my grand my grandfather died and that I remember specifically the funeral because the funeral was at the Methodist church and we went to the Baptist church and it was down the block and around the corner or something. Um, and I'd never been into that church before. And here I am a six year old and I'm dealing with my mom's dealing with her grief. When in fact she didn't like him. He was not a likable guy. Yeah. And that uh, uh, they didn't get along, but after, but because when he died, she grieved because she was supposed to grieve. Hmm. And I remember that. And I remember that when the casket was being pulled out right in front, you know, they took everybody in the family went up to the vestibule of the church and then they hauled the casket out through the front door of the church. And as this casket was passing by, my mom squeezed my hand really hard in, in her grief. And I and I looked at my I kind of looked up at my mom and says, You didn't like this guy. <laughs> <laughs> I already knew that you I mean you spent so much time telling me how much you didn't like him. And well, now when he died Okay. Colorado. Yes. I was going to say, I'm curious, you know, if any of those reactions may also be due to um, kind of like a, a catharsis, if you could say, from the person that has spent so much of their time and their mind space disliking someone you when that person passes it's like the ultimate like uh, uh vulnerability if you will right they're they're ultimately vulnerable now because they're they're gone there's nothing they can do and so you're like you have to face your um your assholeness i guess you could say your disregard 
for people, your selfishness. And so in facing that, you see, wow, I spent all my time convincing myself how much of an asshole this person was when now they're dead and it doesn't even matter. Like now they're dead, they're dead and I'm alive. Who's the asshole now? <laughs> you know, that's you, you've got it. That's exactly right. In other words, I would, I would think that when my grandfather died at that moment, it probably hit her that she could have been better to him than she was, that she felt guilty. But yes. guilt was her feeling rather right. than uh, a sense of loss. Right. And I felt that with my dad, too. I did. That's something mm-hmm. I felt with my dad. We do. That, in fact, guilt is possibly, um, let us say, it, it's in that mix. And it's possibly the predominant feeling. Yeah. Because we don't really have a proper say goodbye. I mean, if you had um, a a friend who was getting on a spaceship, an Elon Musk spaceship, and goes to Mars, and you'll never see him again, you can have one goodbye and then find memories of him, though you may not hear of him with the expense of the price of tickets or uh, uh, communications or whatever like that. So... If somebody does leave us, I re- I remember that. In fact, that uh, there was a kid. His name was Keith, and that Keith um, lived across the street. He had a horse named Trigger, a pony actually, and that uh, his family, for some reason, moved to Muskogee, Oklahoma, and that uh, I missed him a lot. I really, really missed my friend, but I was actually able to go visit him. Now, this actually, this all happened when I was five. This happened before we went to school together, uh, but, but we played a lot. And so even at that young age, I remember that, that sense of loss of a friend. I had lost him. He moved out of town. And I really, really miss that. So that sense of loss is one thing that we have to do deal with. But in the death, maybe of a relative or a close friend, we often add that uh, aspect of guilt to it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Like, oh, I should have done this. The example that I used that triggered you was that I should have taken that puppy to the vet. And now the now the puppy's dead. Right, shoulda, woulda, couldas, and so that guilt is there. Now, the the loss of a friend, like uh, with with Keith, or a friend moving to Mars, they didn't die, and so we're not dealing with that quality of it, but they're gone. Yeah, and so it seems yeah. like that the missing someone um, is, uh, let us say, not actually um, related to death itself, but the guilt is. We feel guilty, Mm. we feel bad because somebody died, and we kind of think of what I could have done, what I should have done, etc. Yeah, and I I think like my journey of this whole thing 
has been, you know, and working with you too and seeing that it, it's really it's no different than Anapanasati, really. Well, after my dad died, there was to see the unwholesome and throw out the unwholesome and then be in joy. And the thing is, is that with death, it's not straight unwholesome. So there's a little bit of a tweak to it. And what I found is that it's, you're going to get emotions. You, things might hit you like a, like a truck. Like you may not even see it coming and all of a sudden you're crying. Celebrate. Wow. How amazing it is to experience this. Experience this love I have for my dad. Love you, mm -hmm. dad. That's what I do. I wake up in the morning. I'll see him in my memory. I'll see him in my mind and I'll, it'll be tinged with a little bit of sadness. And I'm like, oh, love you, dad. It's all good. No. Excellent. That's exactly right. That's exactly that point of sati is to remember that you can think of your dad without going through the guilt and the and the loss. Mm -hmm. That instead you can say, hello, dad, my old friend. Yeah. And actually, what's really interesting is that is way more intense of an experience than um, getting subdued into the the oh this is sad or this is so heartbreaking this is so terrible because when you're when you when you look at something that is supposedly or that appears evil or appears like it's gonna harm you and then you're like wow oh man love you dad that's that's amazing you you totally it's like what Keyshawn was saying earlier you you've won the game you've won the game <laughs> you've won the game that's right that's exactly right. We can win the game of life. We were born into the game of life as victims. We were taught how to be victims really excellently by all the victims around us. And now without Apanasati and with the, the Buddha Dhamma, we're recognizing that we can, in fact, be a winner in our life. We do not have to be the victims. Our choice that we can, in fact, have fond memories of uh, a deceased relative or a neutral feeling, if that's it, but we don't have to grieve. Mm -hmm. It's almost like we, um, uh, we're obligated to grieve. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good point, or expected to. Mm -hmm. and, and, and and the conversation about it and expecting it and how we basically feel sorry for everyone that experiences it. And, you know, it, it, we even, oh, my God, I can't, people have like, um, and, and they mean well, but they've imposed their view um, on, you know, on me. And they'll say like, well, it's going to be really hard. It's going to suck. It's going to really suck at first, but you, you'll, you, it'll get better each day or they're like, you know, the pain never goes away or the pain gets better each day, but it never goes away. And I was like, man, we gotta, we gotta wake this world up. We gotta right. wake this world up. <laughs> I know. That's Come right. That's up. such an ordinary way of looking at it is, is that we're supposed to grieve or this is how it is. Because we don't recognize we've got that choice. He's, and so, he's, I got to. Mm -hmm. 
So I got to congratulate you, Alex, that you actually came through this really, really well. You could have really, really been in the funk for a long period of time. And you come right. Yeah, you come right back out of it. So congratulations for that. This is what the Dhamma really is all about. You've heard me say it many times is, is that we have to develop sati as a skill so that it'll be there when we need it most. Okay, and this is one of those times when you really needed it most. If you were actually able to remember that you can, in fact, feel the way that you want to feel, that you can mm-hmm. celebrate your dad. Mm-hmm. You can be happy that you knew him. Mm-hmm. You can be grateful that he gave you life, and you don't have to be guilty at all. Yeah. No need for guilt, no need for remorse. Yeah. I genuinely feel like my dad's passing is, is, I don't, it feels so weird to say this, but it's just one of the best gifts he probably could have ever given me. I, I, he gave me the gift of death, of, mm-hmm. of coming to terms with death um, and seeing what that is and being intimate with it and accepting it in its, in its beauty and in its terror, you know, all of it. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that, that's, that's really nice. It's really nice. Actually, death, um, in in kind of an abstract way, or let us say in a kind of a big way, death actually um, allows beauty. Mm. Now, how, what do I mean by that? It means that if everybody was living forever this present moment would be meaningless because you've got so tr- many trillions of them. But because we all know that we've got less than 100 years, hmm. we all know that. And then, in fact, when dad or someone close dies, that reminds us, okay, that this is something that's very interesting. Um, I, I watched the dogs here when the puppy died. And they they sniffed and then they left. They didn't want to have anything to do with it mm. or with her. Okay, animals are like that. They can see another dead animal and it doesn't ring that bell. That mm. I too am temporary. The dogs have no sense of that kind mm. of a future. Okay, they don't understand puppiness, adulthood old dog and dead dog. They don't have those kind of concepts. They only have the concept of right here, right now. But humans have that that knowledge. And that, um, let us put it this way. The most beautiful music that has ever been written is often from that sense of loss losing someone mm-hmm. okay That's um, a good point. That, yeah that it that in fact um most of the um uh let us say more popular music is more about losing a girlfriend than mm-hmm. losing in in death but in the old days like with Ravel and pavon and and uh box um uh, Requiem and B minor, those kinds of pieces of music uh, that have to do with loss and death. Another one, in fact, possibly my favorite, is the pathetic. You can hear the word pathetic in it, pathetic, 
by uh, Tchaikovsky, his Sixth Symphony. And and it is just absolutely so gorgeous. Mm. Just makes you cry, it's so beautiful. But it was because of his loss of his wife and also the, the sense that he was getting close to death too. Another example is the Ode to Joy by Beethoven. Because he wrote that right at the end of his life. Okay. Um, but Schubert also, there was an unfinished symphony that was so gorgeous, but it wasn't finished because he died. And so someone, his best friend, who was also a great musician, finished that symphony so that it could be published and played because it was so gorgeous. It was so beautiful. That 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 pathos that's within us is is the beauty that we have. Um, that in fact, watching the Mona Lisa deteriorate and fall apart over the centuries and having it restored and not well and all of that is part of what makes that art piece so beautiful. When it was new, there was nothing much to it. But when art gets really, really old and starts to deteriorate is when it begins to get more beautiful. And so with music and with art, we can see that this pathos that we have within us is actually it's uh, it's a it's a, it's a, a major part of us just like life and death is a part of us that death quality that loss that sense mm. of losing something mm. that that if if we dwell on oh poor me i didn't i lost it i i'm worse off now etc like that then we're missing it. Mm. That the whole quality of being able to uh, relish the fact that everything is temporary. Your dad was temporary. Okay, in fact, question. You I think this is a very good segue. Um, it, well, I know that Don Morado and I are talking about this whole time, Keyshawn, but if you are interested in talking about something else, please feel free to go ahead. Okay, sounds like Keyshawn is... Sorry for the day, I, I was going to oh, respond, but my, I have my phone, um, I'm using my phone and my laptop at the same time, but... Um, <laughs> oh, no problem. <laughs> It was a couple of extra uh, thinking steps, but I've just been enjoying this conversation, and um, I don't know if I have too much to add. But okay, cool. I have a I have a question that I think will bring us a little further. So, um, Domerado, I was on the phone with Dan the other day. Danny, you know your uh -huh. your student, your old student. Yeah. Um, uh huh. He, he was helping me, you know, with everything as well. And this was in the very beginning. And I, you know, I told him, I was like, it's crazy. Like, you, you can be here and then you can just die. And he was like, yes, on one level, yes, you, if you identify with the body, right, that has the, you know, the name of Alex and this and that, then yes, technically you do die. But if you are the awareness in which all those things 
occur, the awareness in which the life and death of the body occurs, well, then that's a different kind of um, experience. Now, he said it a lot better than that. So please do not judge my um, <laughs> rendition of what he said as what he said, because he's much more articulate than that. So I apologize. But um, yeah, I was curious if you had any thoughts on that, because um, I've been, you know, kind of dipping my head in that one as well. Tell me again what you're talking about. Danny said what? Um, Dan said that, you know, he's like, I was like, you know, I was like something like it's a tragedy. Like we, we live and then we like we die. And I was like saying something about like the tragedy of it. And he was like, well, yeah, you, you do die if you are identified with a body that has a name that was born and so on, so on, so on. Um, mm -hmm. But then there's also this other level where it says, unless you are, or if you identify with the awareness in which all these things occur. Right. Okay. So, yes, basically what he's talking about then is the distinction between are we going to take a selfish view or are we going to take an altruistic view? Okay. Hmm. What do we mean by a selfish view is, oh, my dad died, oh, poor me. And we wallow in our self-pity, we wallow in our guilt and our sense of loss and all of that kind of stuff because we're looking very small. Me and my friends or me and my dad. And that um, the other way of looking at it is taking a broad look. A look at humanity and a look at the, the fact that all of humanity grieves over the loss of someone because they're not well trained in how to handle it. That, that in fact, when things are, um, let us say, the idea of forbidden fruit. You can see that with um, uh, teenagers in the sense of their um, relationship to alcohol or to drugs or to the girls or opposite sex, any of that kind of stuff. It's kind of like a forbidden fruit. And that we got to have it because it's forbidden, okay? So staying alive permanently is kind of a forbidden fruit. We're not supposed to do that. And because of that, it's enticing. I mean, here's something that throughout history, and we have people doing it now, too. You've heard of Ponce de Leon looking for the fountain of youth. And look how much work and everything that he spread. But in fact, when I was in school, I heard that he was in Florida looking for the fountain of youth. And now I've <laughs> talked to some people who were uh, born and raised in Brazil and they know Ponce de Leon because he was in South America looking for the <laughs> fountain of youth. <laughs> and they didn't even know he was in Florida. Okay. Now, now there's, and now the other side is, is that, um, oh, ancient emperors, they used to think somehow that mercury was a medicine, and because of that, many people died of mercury poisoning because they thought that it was an elixir that would give them eternal life. 
Why they chose mercury, I don't know, because mercury's poison. <laughs> um, uh, but in fact, there's still a mountain that is so contaminated with mercury that uh, they don't even want to do the proper research of the archaeology because it's a, a burial mound, and it's just absolutely full of um, uh, mercury. <clears throat> so, uh, nowadays... You will find, uh, have you ever heard of cryogenics? Where when somebody is dead or about to die, they'll take the body and freeze it with liquid nitrogen with the hope of being able to revive it someday? I've never heard that, no. Oh, you haven't heard that? Yes, there, are, there is still, I mean, there's a corporation that has, I don't know, dozens and dozens of bodies that they're preserving. You have to have a huge amount of money as an endowment to keep your body that cold. Wow. With the hope someday that medical science will be able to resurrect you. There are also wow, a lot of crazy. <laughs> <laughs> right. And there's all kinds of longevity stuff. I just saw something on YouTube to where can they reverse the aging till they get it down to the zero point. They're, they're learning to slow down aging, and the part of the slowing down, I think, is more demographics, that when people don't die young of so many diseases and accidents, then that increases the, um, uh, the lifespan for everyone. Right. But, the, yeah. but, the, but the point is, is that life is better when there is death. That's the point that I'm making, that everybody clings to life and wants to have life and live forever and, and uh, find a fountain of youth or try to find a way of staying alive forever. But that's out of greed. That's out of a sense of fear of death. And a much, much better way of looking at it is, is that my death is coming, your death is coming. Let's have a celebration that we're still alive because that's not going to last. Exactly. Exactly. That's what I, that's the realization I've been struck with over the past week. Mm -hmm. And so having but, your di dad die then is yeah. a big, big wake up call for you to be alive. I was having the thought that um, in addition to the cryogenics and all the other things that you mentioned, one of the other ones, uh, like, like a sci-fi kind of theory is the singularity that you could get uploaded into the ether and your consciousness can live on. But like you said, if there's no end to it, <laughs> is it really going to be quite as good, you know, um, even if you can just dial up your experience with whatever number you plug in, but um, right. that whole quality of plugging in, like with AI, that we plug something into the brain, <laughs> just sucks all of the knowledge, all the memories, all of the everything out, puts it into a computer. And now there's a robot that downloads from that computer and that's a walking, talking robot. That's me. Right. That's what that's. <laughs> no, that robot is not you. This body dies. And that we can celebrate that. That celebration of death. Yes, Alex. Sorry, but, guys. Um, 
Okay. I get all that. Don Morado, <laughs> you didn't answer the question, my friend. You mean with uh, uh, with Dan? I thought that it, that he was indicating that. Go ahead, restate it. Yeah, no, no, you're you're fine. I was just being a little hard ass with you. Sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, um, no, Dan was. He said like, it's a tragedy if we identify as a body. Um, mm-hmm. It's a tragedy to die if we identify as a body, but if we identify as the awareness, which there is a body, in which there is an Alex, then you know that's a a much a much greater and freer condition to live from. I was curious if you could talk about that specific condition that you okay. referring to, and and and, uh, and how how the Eightfold Noble Path and how the teachings of the Buddha relate to that condition. Okay, um, that in fact, I think is what you're pointing at here is, is that we are not the body, we are not the feelings, we are not our memories, and then he goes, we're not even our perception, which is where most people come from, and then the big dude is consciousness. We see that being alive means being conscious. That it's not the body, it's the consciousness. And so uploading all of that data to the AI is not going to upload consciousness. It's just going to upload data. Now, the Buddha talks about consciousness um, as a nutriment, just like food. Okay, there's various different kinds of nutriments or nourishments that we get, and one of the nourishments, and this, by the way, was not a teaching of the Buddha. This was old, old philosophy from the Brahmins and the Vedas and all of that way back when, is that consciousness is a nourishment. Without consciousness, what is life itself? If you're not conscious, you're not alive. Yeah. Right. That consciousness is a um, uh, a nutriment for life itself, just like food. And so while you're eating that food, it's going to keep you alive. But if you don't know it, then what difference does it make? It's that knowing, it's that seeing, it's that taking in data. And that that is, in fact, what can be celebrated is just that we are still alive, which means we still have that consciousness. Now, the teaching of the Buddha is, is that consciousness is not permanent. It's temporary. Mm. Consciousness dependently arises. That, in fact, when you stump your toe, you're probably not conscious of much of anything else. (laughs) Or for the man, when you get strongly hit in the balls, you're not conscious of anything else. But Aren't in you fact, conscious I, of the pain, though? Well, yes, but that's the whole point, is you're not conscious of anything else because that pain is so great. We're not even conscious. Here's an example of that, that I saw this as one of those shorts on YouTube, and that this guy was on a trampoline 
that was beside a wall that had a um, uh, a roof uh, that they were using to jump off the roof onto the trampoline and then make it back up to the roof and land again. And this was the show. And this guy, his girlfriend accidentally hit him in the balls for some reason as he was coming back up and he lost it. I mean, he couldn't do anything else. He was just doubled up in pain while that uh, <laughs> trampoline was going up and down, and he couldn't do anything else. Okay, so this is what I'm what I'm referring to is is that um, the whole quality of the teaching of the Buddha is to wake up that consciousness so that it can be more generalized, that we don't focus down on one little thing to miss everything else that consciousness is dependently arising let us use that in fact um as a skill to be developed the skill is is to keep coming back to reality to come back to the to the consciousness but we are taught in our society uh to say who am i is the body look how many industries are set up. I mean, the entire uh, cosmetic industry, the fashion industry, much of what automobiles are all about is ego. About I, I, I am this car. This car is fancy. Therefore, I own it. I'm fancy too. You know, that's the whole idea. They've got all of these wealth people with Lamborghinis that have just been to the car show. You know that kind of thing. Um, and and so we identify with physical objects like the body. I am the body. And Dan was, I think, pointing at the, the fact that this is what terrifies us so much is because the body is temporary, too. And that it gets sick, it gets well, it gets tired, it gets, you know, uh, hungry, all of these problems with the body. And so we identify, I am the body. And this is then um, part of the reason why we stay victims. When we recognize that I am not the body, that I am, in fact, if anything, close. It's consciousness. To stay alert, to stay awake, to be so alive. That sounds, like, that sounds like quite a relief compared to being identified with a body. Because, I mean, if you're identified with a body as temporary, you know you're going to die. But if you identify with consciousness, um, I, don't, I can't even imagine what, that, what that's like. I probably can't. You know, one thing well, that happened to me recently, um, today I was walking home and I had one thing or, an, or another on the mind. And uh, there's always this dog, this pit bull behind this gate. And every time you walk by, he barks, you know, as aggressively as he can. And I normally just laugh or, you know, just watch him do his thing. But this time, because I was so uh, closed off to what was going on, and he started barking out of nowhere right next to me. And I thought it was out of nowhere. But if I had been paying attention, then it wouldn't have been out of nowhere. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I wouldn't caught off guard. Mm -hmm. Here's, an, here's something that you can play with that uh, you possibly go by this place often where the dog is and he's very aggressive to everybody because everybody doesn't like being barked at. So nobody likes that dog. 
So in a way, it's a um, mm. it's a samsara cycle. He yeah. barks. They don't like it. They treat him bad, and he feels bad, so he keeps barking. All right. So what I would suggest is have a different attitude as you walk by the dog over and over again. That mm. in fact, as you approach the place, you could maybe start singing or whistling or doing something in a happy way to let the dog know and and start experimenting to see if you can, in fact, pass by that dog without the dog being so ferocious. But instead, he may become friendly to you over time. That sounds like an awesome experiment. That's a that's a good experiment. Because then I'll be the only person on the block who can walk by the dog without embarking. <laughs> <laughs> well, perhaps acknowledging the dog in, in friendly, even when he's barking at you, you can say, hey, I know what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so when we recognize that we are not the body, then we have better choices like the choice to be here now the choice to really experience what's going on and including um to really experience our grief a lot of people will grieve but they really don't experience it very well and so they're doomed to repeat it drips and drabs rather than fully experience that grief like I said, I've been doing a little too much late night action, so I'm gonna go ahead and call it a night. But um, I, I really want to be on. I think I'm gonna join tomorrow evening in the open sangha call. So we'll. Oh, I'd love that. to see you. Yeah. Yes, I know yeah. you've been you've been busy, and yeah. I'm glad to see you back, Keyshawn. Yes. That would that's that's what I'm uh, really looking forward to right now. So, gonna All rest. Right. Well, um, Alex, I'm really pleased that uh, uh, that you're doing as as well as you're doing, and that this is not only that um, for you, but this is really good. I, I use the word piggyback. Do you know what I mean by the word piggyback? Okay, so a lot of people. Um, I just wanted to are, say bye to Kishan too. Sorry, bye yes. <laughs> Thanks, Kishan. It was good talk with you tonight, and, and we'll hang next weekend. All right, bro. Yes, that's what I was about to say. That Kishan has yeah. been getting very good uh, vibes off of this conversation that we're having, mm. and that others are too. That this is actually a good thing. So thank you, Alex, for sharing your your trip with your dad. Because Keyshawn's going to be doing that too. And this is a good training for him. That's awesome. That's great. I'm happy to hear that, guys. I love a good piggy rep, piggyback ride. Thank you, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime, bro. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, Alex, is there anything else that you and I need to talk about now? Well, I was just curious if we could kind of keep, I, I really um, enjoy this conversation about, you know, I, I think the important thing for me, the, the only reason why, okay, Domorado, the reason why you and I are speaking on the phone is because my, 
I'm going to, for the lack of a better term, I'm going to say goal. My goal is to uh, understand completely what exactly I am so that I am not getting caught up in suffering, resistance, problems, creating my own problems, creating others' problems, and so that I really am, you know, it's just like what all the great spiritual teachers say, like the, you, you merge with the universe, you, you know, you are reality itself. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, that is, that's, there's nothing more important to me than that. <laughs> So and 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 not in the Western way, okay? We've got yeah, to, I know. I understand. Clear. I'm just I'm I, just letting you know that's why I'm here. I'm mm -hmm. I'm not I'm not here to just like be happy, you know. Being happy is great, but I I want the I want the truth. I want how, the, how about happy and fulfilled? There you go. There you go. Okay. That's good. Okay. I like that. I like that. <laughs> uh -huh. I like that a lot. Right. Not just fulfilled, but wealthy with fulfillment. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, uh, overflowing. So, one point to make. Sounds good to me. <laughs> mm -hmm. One point to make is, is that. Um, according to the teachings of the Buddha and everything that I see is, is that that old philosophical question that is, um, it just permeates all of the oldest of literature, uh, know thyself, mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> yeah. to, uh, uh, to figure out that the, the answer to that age old question of who am I? Mm. And mm -hmm. the Buddha talks about it in the sense that that kind of question is irrelevant. Mm -hmm. Why is it irrelevant is because mostly we're a moving target. That we can only find out what we are or who we are if, in fact, we can stop time and take a photograph. And then mm -hmm. later study that photograph. But in fact, you're not a photograph, you're a movie. And we cannot, in fact, investigate all of the things there because they're in and out, they're up and down, they're moving. <clears throat> that you're a moving target. Okay. And when we recognize that, then we can say, okay, I may not ever figure out who I am, but I can figure out a whole lot of stuff about what I'm not. Because I've got choices about what I'm not. And what I'm, what I'm not grieve, grieving, angry, sad. I can feel the way that I want to feel, but still I don't feel one thing all the time. That too changes. Mm -hmm. Everything changes. And so when we can recognize that, then you got a much better handle over who you actually are is because you've got a choice about it right here, right now. To either be this or to be that right now. But the mm -hmm. fact is, is over time you're a moving target, you'll never figure it out. The, I think, in fact, we've talked about this before. Sit down 
and write out a long, long list, take an hour or two and define everything about you. And then set that piece of paper down and a week later do that same experiment again. And that second time that we do it, we will oftentimes try to remember what I put down on the paper the first time rather than experiencing who I am right now. Uh, that's a really good experiment, yeah. <laughs> and, and then we wind up recognizing that we are not what we wrote down on that piece of paper because we're moving. We're changing that we're not the same thing over and over again. And that in fact, the whole concept of the Christian soul is trying to specify and define who you are, which is what we would call personality. Who am I? I'm a personality. Well, guess what? The personality is constantly fluid. It's not the same. And the best part of that teaching is, is that we can change. We can change. It's not that we have to change or that we're constantly already changing. It's that we have choice about it. But if we think that we know who we are, then that defines us and we can't change. Now, over time, we can see, um, let's use, uh, oh, Henry Ford and Bill Gates and Vanderbilt and many, many others that were the robber barons and the biggest thieves in town in their lifetime, like Bill Gates and Microsoft. Some of the dirty stories that I've heard about Bill Gates <laughs> from uh, for the way that he worked with IBM and other things like that, but he is not that person anymore. Now Bill Gates is a philanthropist. He could not have been a philanthropist if he had not been a uh, thief because the money, the money that he's giving away is the money that he, uh, uh, let us say, uh, stole a little bit from everybody who bought a Windows. So the point is, is that he's made a major change in his life. And not only that, but he's probably a whole lot happier now that he's a philanthropist than, than he is the CEO of, of Microsoft. So we can't define who we are. We will never be able to do that exactly. Probably about the best that we'll ever do is maybe 50 or 60%, but why bother? The better thing to do is to recognize I've got a choice right now about who I am. Well, I actually didn't mean who you are. I meant uh -huh. what, what I am. Because okay. if we are awareness, that's not a who, right? That's a what. Okay. If, if I'll what give we you are that. is consciousness. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what so, you are is consciousness. What you yeah. are is, is is none of the things that we thought that we were. Yeah, so would you agree then that if what we are is consciousness, but we don't experience ourselves as that, or technically you could say consciousness isn't experiencing itself as that right now. Exactly, and exactly. And it is decided to... Um, play the role of Alex and assume that that's it is it loves Alex so much that it has gotten lost inside Alex 
And so it doesn't know whether it's consciousness or Alex anymore. Um, how do you, I mean, wouldn't you say then that the realization of consciousness being awake to itself, isn't that the whole point, if there's any point at all to this whole well, thing? Yes, I would say that that's correct, but there's a better way to express it. Okay, tell me. Okay. Um, that mostly what we are is how we perceive the world. In other words, is our own interpretation of the world based upon the input that we're getting now, plus our old past experiences. This is what is perception, and that the world that we live in is a perceived world. So, what we're practicing here, uh, working, um, let us say, both in the realm of Petita Samupada, where we're talking about, as well as the mind uh, that is in a state where we can see it, is, is that we can begin to modify and play with the perception so as to stop it. In other words, we're stopped trying to make sense out of the world and just experiencing the world. To stay in mm. consciousness rather than trying to make sense out of it. Mm. Mm. And when you're getting into jhana and things like this, you're, you're closer to consciousness there than you are when you are off thinking about wanting to do something else because you're not satisfied right. where you are right now. Exactly. So we're not conscious of right where we are right now. We're in some sort of dream state. But that also takes a bit of consciousness to be conscious of that dream state, but it's still not in our real senses. The eyes, the ears, the body, the touch, the sensations, the smells, the taste of food, etc. like that. Those things are real remembering my grandfather's coffin as it passes by and my mommy holding my hand and squeezing it really tightly when that happened, that's just a memory. It's not real, cannot be reconstructed. Then in fact, most likely that church has been destroyed, demolished, because we're talking about something that happened 70 something years ago. <laughs> And so uh, I couldn't go back and revisit that church. And if I could, I couldn't reproduce the casket or the dead body or any of the people who were in that room. That was that's gone. And the only thing that's left is the residual part of it that's in the mind. As opposed to right here, right now, I live in a reality that it would take me far too long to explain it or to express it. But it has to do with the sunlight and the porch and the uh, the smells and the wind and the dogs and the uh, this chair that is here and all of this stuff that we can become aware of or conscious of in reality. And it's quite marvelous to just experience what's actually real. Hmm. And that's what it is to be alive. To be alive is to experience the present moment. And to be thinking about something is not that kind of aliveness. 
And so, so the reason why we say gladden the mind is so that we can grow closer to the present moment. To grow closer to the present moment, the reality of the situation, that we can become vibrantly alive. So getting into joy, so to speak, like when we talk about gladdening the mind, that's kind of like the training wheels of the actual bike of living inside the experience right the, the yes. training wheels of jhana they help you get closer to just the sensations to appreciating the sensations as they are because you've like mm -hmm. convinced yourself that there's nothing better than this and because so this is closer. the nourishment this is in fact the nourishment of being alive is being conscious being awake looking and, at yeah. and experiencing yeah so i that's that's cool that's cool. I think I'm kind of. I think I'm beginning to knock on that door. It's Begin it, to feel wealthy like with that. it. Begin to appreciate how wealthy you are with consciousness already. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Even while you're knocking on the door, you've got a knock. You've got a fist. You've got power. You've got all of that stuff mentally that you're talking about. But the actual knocking on the door is still. That you're alive. Yeah. I mean, of all of the bricks and all of the stones and all of the drops of water in the ocean and everything like that, it's not conscious. That we have a marvelous gift of being alive. And your dad's death and other situations like that brings that up poignantly. That we're alive and we're not going to be alive. We're going to die. Let's celebrate what we've got now. And how is it the case, though, that people say, like Dan has even said, like, you don't, you technically don't die. We are eternal. We don't die. Well, we Actually, born. if we are consciousness, then itself, then consciousness will go on. May not be my consciousness, but that's what we're celebrating is consciousness itself. Remember, the distinction is, are we going to do this little old me selfishness? Or mm. are we going to be the expansion of life itself? Consciousness itself. To get a load of the fact that we live in a in a in a world that's vibrantly alive, and so there from there it's kind of easier to 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 die because you're like oh okay well time for consciousness to live on, you know. Mm -hmm. Exactly. For I've had sake. about as much joy as I can stand. It's <laughs> <laughs> good. And Good. so we and and so we get kind of get the attitude of you know something. There's a couple of things that I haven't done that you've heard of a bucket list. Mm -hmm. How many bucket lists have dying on their bucket list? <laughs> That's the only thing that I need to do now. I mean, <laughs> talk about travel. I've traveled. Talk about being in airplanes. I've done that too. <laughs> The only thing that I haven't done yet is dying. I'm really interested in it, very curious about it. I'm curious. I'm going to be ready too. for it. 
Um, I think it was, uh, I can't remember if it was Krishnamurti or Ram Das, but they said that um, we're all we're all going to die, um, but the real art is to learn to die before you die. Mm-hmm. Which is then that part again back to the selfishness. It's the selfishness, the self mm. that dies. Mm. And then death itself has no sting. It has no pain. But when so, I want to avoid it because I want to live, that's where all the pain and suffering comes from, is selfishness. Wow. Yeah. Identifying with something that is mine. I, me, and mine, my death, rather than death itself, or life itself, or the bigger picture. An example would be human, that we're human. Humanity (laughs) uh, is capable of great things, but humanity is also capable of great screw-ups. But that just makes us real. There's no such thing as a perfect humanity. And yet in our society, we're trying to strive for something that's not possible. Just like trying to strive for um, longevity, which is not possible. So instead of um, uh, grasping and clinging and seeking the things that are not possible, it's better for us to enjoy the things that are real here now, not just possible, but basically uh, pulling on our string and saying, wakey, wakey, <laughs> wake up. <laughs> Reality is here. And you're so, all dreaming about something that's impossible. Wow. So it, it's, it's crazy. Like, um, I feel so over flooded by my senses right now i'm like i am like uh um surfing on like on the waters of stillness right now mm-hmm. it i i just i feel incredible <laughs> <laughs> well that's what we're looking for that's the the the, the kind of with words i'm painting a a picture of a state of being. Congratulations that I'm able to give that concept and you're able to convert it out of a concept into an experience. The experience of being alive. And guess what? It's almost overwhelming. In the suttas, they talk about it as being a flood. A flood of reality. Reality is really, really complicated. There's a lot to it, and we don't pay much attention to that. <laughs> yes, this is this is what I uh, uh, seriously. This is uh, this is similar to what I feel when I'm when I take psychedelics, when I take shrooms. Mm-hmm. 
Well, what those uh, things do is they kind of break down all of those boundaries and barriers that we have built up to protect the self. Right, right. To reality, all the boundaries that we've made to reality. mm -hmm. And those boundaries keep us in our territory. Rather than experimenting and exploring with the fact that we've got an entire universe here. I don't have to go anywhere. I don't have to go to Detroit to find the universe. It's right here. <laughs> we don't have to go any place to do anything. It's all right here. It's already here. And being temporary helps us to um, appreciate. Right. Right. It's It's not... It's not two, it's one. We, yes. We, we need death in order to appreciate it. Well, in order to appreciate that, life. That's that distinction then between selfishness is small and it's, it's multiplicity, it's all over the place. But altruism is unification we're all alike you and i are brothers there's no distinction we both have that one thing in common and that is that we're alive and that life itself that's the miracle to being alive to being able to be receptive to be conscious of how complex things are How marvelous it is. This is incredible. You you talked about it also in this term of psychedelics. But there's another way of expressing it. And that is being in love. You've heard songs like, it's a big, wide, wonderful world we live in when you're in love. But normally when we're in love, we think about it in a small, selfish way, in love with that girl or in love with this dog or in love with this car or whatever it is. And here we're taking that sense of being in love and expanding it to everything. Being in love with being alive, being in love with reality. To bring that joy up. Oh, this is so good. And why aren't we, I mean, we could be born and lived like that our whole lives, but our society has trained us into being very selfish, protectionistic. And so we have to train ourselves from the small into the big, from the self into the all. How does that work with like 
if you're looking at different jobs and stuff and you know like in my case i've been looking at different jobs you mm-hmm. know in some cases it may benefit it may benefit people for me to stay in my job so am i depriving the all from its uh total possible benefit by jumping ship and going into another field right well here's the point When you're jumping the ship, know that this is what's happening. Know the ship and the jumping. (laughs) That if you do take another job, know that. But if you don't and you stay in the job that you've got here, know that too. To Mm. stay in the reality. Mm. Mm. But what you're doing here is in that moment is, is should, should I, this little self, this selfishness, should I go and take that little job or should I take this little job or do this little thing? And the answer to that is, wakey, wakey, we've got a great big world here. Mm. If we could experience <laughs> it. <laughs> and in that regard, it doesn't matter what job that you're doing at all. What matters is. How are you doing that job in this present moment? Are you aware of how big things are right now? How wonderful things are? And if you take that kind of attitude with your with the people that you talk to on the phone, they'll get that from you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely right. Yeah, you're absolutely right. <laughs> wow. Wow. So, so I, I think this is this is what I'm. This is what I'm seeing here, that when I am just resting as the senses, but I wouldn't even say, like, that's a way to describe it, but it's actually even not that. It's it's hard to describe what it actually is, but that's the closest, I guess I could say. When you're resting and kind of just, like, getting cozy in the senses like getting completely consumed subsumed and you know subsumed by the senses you know and it's just delicious like that right there is is just experiencing reality as it is it's it's not um it's not anything you're manufacturing or creating it's it's right there to be enjoyed mm-hmm. yes yeah. it is there it is. <laughs> Here it is. <laughs> All we have to do is remember that we have a choice. Are we going to think small or are we going to think big? Yeah. Am I going to think about little old Alex or are I going to think about, wow, what a wonderful experience. Uh, what a wonderful world Alex lives in. how wonderful it is mm-hmm. and so your the death of your dad actually can help trigger that for you oh it definitely has yeah <laughs> to be here now to be in the big wide wonderful world to have fond memories of him to love him rather than feeling miserable and regretful and guilty and shoulda, woulda, couldas, and I could have done this, that, and the other thing. No, the best thing to do is just to love him. 
Yeah, and you know what's really interesting, Don Morado, is when I think about guilt, when, when I think about the image of my dad being unconscious on the hospital bed, I get this image of regret, I guess you could say, of regret tinged mm-hmm. with guilt. And what I just noticed is that image of regret and guilt is based in a old Alex's memory. And mm-hmm. old Alex's memory that occurred weeks ago now, two weeks ago. But that memory is only happening now because I'm remembering that memory. It's it's occurring, it's it's being made up in the mind in mm-hmm. this moment. In this moment. Uh-huh. And 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 it doesn't have to be. And it doesn't have to be seen as it, it doesn't have to be, I I guess what I'm trying to say is that the Alex that's here now doesn't have to have the same memory that the old Alex had two weeks ago. Yes, exactly right. You could change. But this is a change model that you can change. Do you have a choice about how you feel when those memories come up? Yeah. And part of the change is, is to recognize that even though that's a memory, the reality is, is that this present moment is real. That's just a memory. And how you're feeling right now is real. And you have a choice over how you feel right now that that memory doesn't define who you are mm-hmm. or how you should feel. Mm-hmm. You've got a choice. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and the choice that I'm making right now is to congratulate you. Alex, I am just so overjoyed at the progress that you've made in the Dharma. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh man, I don't know, Don Rado. I might be fooling you. <laughs> uh 